And now it's time for We Are Just Christians live from Savona Church in Port St. Lucie. Here are your hosts, Mike Schmidt and Gary Jones. Good morning, gentlemen. Good morning and welcome to We Are Just Christians. We are very glad you tuned into the show today. We appreciate it. We'll be on for the next hour here on WPSL and hope you can stay with us for that time. We Are Just Christians is a live call-in show. I'll give you the numbers in just a moment, how to reach us. But this show is about all things spiritual, so we're going to take your calls, comments, and questions on anything that's on your mind. Now, we're coming to you personally, uh, Gary Jones and I, as you just heard, are coming to you from the perspective of of, a belief that the New Testament is the inspired word of God, and therefore a guide for our life, not only uh, historically, but here in the 21st century, not only in the church or in the collective assembly, but also our individual lives. So when you call in with a comment or question, we're going to talk about that, but we're going to give you an answer as best we can or a comment based upon the New Testament. And that's the premise of the show. Hope that's of, of interest to you. And I think that we'll see that being just a Christian is the what is what God intended for us to be in reading the New Testament, not part of some man-made denomination or some so-called historical tradition following either philosophy or religious theology, but following a simple reading of the New Testament. And of course, the Old Testament is explained by the New Testament. So we believe in the whole Bible, but as it's, as Timothy, Paul told Timothy, a rightly divided scriptures is how we would put that. So anyway, that's what the show is about. My name is Mike Schmidt, as you heard. I'm the preacher, one of the elders the Church of Christ on Savona Boulevard, and, and uh, my partner is Gary Jones. How are you doing, Gary? I'm here this morning, Mike. Yeah, we're, as, since we're both, uh, what I call, uh, my granddaughter one time years ago called me elderly in front of somebody. So since we're both kind of elderly, it's a good thing that we can be here. <laughs> we have our we have our physical challenges and everything else, like many of you do, I'm sure. But we're thankful that we can do this show from week to week. Hope you'll tune in. This show, by the way, uh, is available not only live here with an AM radio on WPSL 1590, but it's available on their website, WPSL.com, around the world uh, at 9 o'clock Eastern time, anywhere that you are. So you can tell your friends to hook into TuneIn Radio or their Google uh, or Alexa devices, ask for WPSL 1590, and it'll bring them this show wherever they are at 9 a.m. Eastern on the web you can listen on your phone or on the web too wherever you are you don't have to be uh within the range of an am tower to get this show so we would encourage you in fact we'd be grateful if you would recommend this show to your friends tell them about it if you can't do that we'd like recordings you can get recordings not only through apple itunes through our podcast which is called we are just christians but you can go to our website we are just christians.com that is, wearejustchristians.com, all one word. Go there. There's a button at the top about the rate, listen to the radio show, and it'll take you to either live or I shouldn't say, no, it won't be live. It'll take you to recordings of this show all the way back for the 10 or 12 years or more that we've been doing this show. So you can listen Almost to all of the them. podcast. What's that? Almost all of them. I think we've Well, there's them. a few here and there. We just didn't get a good recording of it. We finally are able to get good recordings now. For years, we struggled getting good recordings from a radio station to calls to getting it all synced together, ins and outs. We just, uh, you know, couldn't get the equipment right to do it. But now 
got it figured out, and uh, you get pretty good recordings now if you'd like to do that. So that's how you get all of the show. You can reach the show live this morning. We'd love to have your calls. Uh, you can reach the show live this morning at 772-340-1590. 772-340-1590 is how you reach the show. And we'd be glad to have you call in today and talk to us. We're going to put you at the front of the line if you're calling live about the show, put you at the front of the line. You can also 772-340-1590. Some people uh, like to text the show, and we'd be glad to take your text. We'll, we'll either comment on it either now or later on. And uh, in fact, we're going to, in just a moment, we're going to try to answer a text a week or two text ago. Answer. And so we'll get into that in just a moment. But um, you can re you can reach us by text at two numbers, 772-260-6120, 772-260-6120, or 772-260-6220. Well, Gary, we intended to do the, le the thing first. Got a call on the line. Let's take this, and we won't spend uh, too long on that of the whole okay. show. And we'll go back to the to the question we got by text message last week. Um, probably the best way to do that. Jerry, are you there? Uh, good morning, Mike. Good morning, Gary. Uh, I don't know if Gary's there with you. Uh, yeah, he is. Trying to briefly uh, briefly comment on the Sturgeon uh, uh, being uh, a delicacy in certain ethnic. Uh, uh, portions of society, and in Michigan and Ohio, uh, kids would uh, uh, spill pulp, you know, pulp, and uh, and I just wonder if the carp, carp, and, and storage in the same fish, and maybe Ken could chime chime in on that. Uh, I don't wonder about that because it's a big fish, and the uh, scales are about as big as a silver dollar, and uh, I just wonder if. If that's the same fish, a call that kids would spear, you know, in a quake, you know. Right. A big right. fish, real big. And I'd like to listen to off film, Mike, if that's okay. Okay, Jerry, that'd be fine. Well, from what I know about it, a carp and a sturgeon are not the same fish. One is a saltwater fish for the most part. And it may be, the sturgeon may be able to live, and that's the sturgeon. The sturgeon may be able to live in brackish or sometimes adapt to fresh. I'm not positive about that. I'd have to look it up, but uh, that's a different fish than the carp. Uh, growing up in the Midwest in Ohio, there was carp in a lot of the lakes and things up there. Um, I didn't eat them when I was young. My family didn't eat them. I imagine some people do. They were terribly bony and scaly, as you mentioned. And, and I hear they get pretty big. I never saw them as a boy very large, the carp, but I sure some people eat them. The sturgeon is generally known for the fish that gives us caviar. I don't know about Gary. He's from Arkansas, but I've eaten caviar yeah. a time or two and uh, not. Pardon me. Uh, I've eaten caviar a time or two. It's not. I don't think it's that great, but I guess it's a delicacy, as you say. But I don't think they're related. Now, maybe somebody out there listening knows more about that than I do uh, as a. Uh, that can enlighten us, we'll be glad to hear a text or a call from you about that. But on the other hand, um, I will say this, that both of those fish, from what I know, uh, are 
considered clean by the Old Testament dietary laws because they have scales. Um, now, the, the, the um, some fish don't have scales like catfish, and they would not be clean, considered clean, but uh, these two fish, these two species, as far as I know, are clean. Once again, if somebody knows something different. Now, I've just looked this up since Gary, Jerry mentioned it, and um, there are, there's an interplay between the two species, but I don't think that they're the same fish at all. They don't look the same, and I don't think they're the same fish at all. You can look them up yourself and see the two. You know anything about it, Gary? Not at all. Not at all. They, they were not species that were really native to Arkansas or northern Louisiana, where I was originally from. Most of the fishing I've done, and I've done a lot yeah. of fishing here in South Florida, has been saltwater, brackish water in the river, uh, some on Lake Okeechobee, not too much uh, for speckled perch, specks, you know, that kind of thing. But um, you don't run into those fish too much down here at all, and so that's been the experience most of the fishing I've done has been in Florida. We just didn't fish a, a lot in Ohio because there just wasn't easy places to go. And um, Well, I, I remember talking about carp. I think they we – but there again, you know, some parts of the country, different fish are called by different names. So well, I'm true. not sure it's the carp that, I, that's part of that. And but. I don't – but I don't think they had a, the sturgeon. Sturgeon wasn't – I don't think they had it over in mid, the Middle East during Bible times either. I don't think that it's a fish that's native to the, the Mediterranean. The sturgeon never came up in, in discussions, and I fished a little it's more bit. more of a cold-water fish, I think. Uh, I catch them up north over New England, all across the Great Lakes, as far as I know. Crappie, they, crappie bass and catfish were the were the staples of southwest Arkansas and Louisiana. Right. Well, anyway, we appreciate your call or question, Gary. If, uh, uh, Jerry, if anybody else is uh, uh, knows anything about that, you're certainly welcome to uh, give us a call or give us a text message. We'd be glad to hear about that. You know, uh, with we got a text message last week, and I don't know why I don't – I thought I had it right in front of me. Uh, I put it here. Let me look at it. But it's about baptism. Oh, and, do I need uh, to look that up? I think you sent it to I me. Said, I've got it here. I've just got to look it up here real quick. Um, it says – here's the question okay, we got by question. text message. I got it here. And then Gary and I are going to comment on this. We haven't – collaborated particularly in an answer so it's but it's a complicated question and it's a good one here's the question from robert is there salvation outside of quote the church of christ is someone baptized in another church for the same reasons in the same way corrupted by not being held that baptism i'm truly saying not being held in the church of christ quote unquote it was described to me as marrying the wrong bride. Okay, well, I um, there's a lot in that question, and I yeah, think there's, there's a lot in, in that my question. opinion. There's a couple of misconceptions in the question, common misconceptions. I don't say that as a anything derogatory. I think there are common misconceptions, and part of it gets to really the point of this show about being just a Christian. Yes, that's why we're dealing. We're we're kind of starting out here. On the outside, with the with the right conception, I believe of the church, with a New Testament conception of what the church is, or the, what the Church of Christ is, not the common understanding from a denominational standpoint of what the church is, or what the quote 
capital C Church of Christ is. See, Gary and I are not coming from that perspective in talking about the church or the Church of Christ, and therefore, uh, some of these terms are being used accommodatively. Now, is there salvation outside of the Church of Christ? Taken as I understand it, I'm going to say no to that. Taken the Church of Christ as spoken of in the Bible as the kingdom of Christ, no, there is the not salvation. Or the church or the body, yes. that's what I understand the Church of Christ to be in the New Testament or the church, the body of Christ. If you're not in the body of Christ, then you are not saved, okay? There's no salvation. If the And, you know, the texture here didn't capitalize any of this. Of course, people don't capitalize. And it's really, I, I must be one of the only people in the world who uses tries to use proper punctuation and grammar <laughs> in text messages. And we'll go back and correct them because the text messages, I read, and I send some with these spellings in them. But in general, the point is, I'm not going to hold the texture to this, but it's a, a small C capital, a small C Church of Christ. In that case, I say, no, outside of the Church of Christ that Jesus Christ built and said, I, when he said in Matthew 16, 18, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. it. There is no salvation outside that body. Now, the question is, what is that body? What does it take to become a part of that body as a member of a body, like my hands are members of my body? What does it take to become a member of that body? Now, that's a, that's a question that we need to answer. That's the important question. And so when we say this show is about being just a Christian, about being a not non-denominational, but undenominational, we're getting back to that church that was established that Jesus said he would build, that he established in the New Testament. We're going to go back and take you back to that and say what was required back then. What did that church believe coming from Christ? What, what did the apostles teach? That's where we're trying to go. We're not going to go down into history and look into historical movements called the Church of God, the Baptist Church, the Church of Christ. You know, we're not, we're not worrying about that as much because we're going back to the New Testament. Now then he says if someone's baptized in another church, now I'm not sure. Here's the question I would have about this. When he says in another church, do you mean in another church building? Or do you mean under the authority of another church and their leadership you're baptized? That's the question you see. So, um, and then now we're getting into the different teachings of the denominations because basically, um, Mike, in my understanding, is the different denominations do not teach what I perceive to be the scriptural definition of baptism. No, it's the definition of the church. Either. They are right. Baptism, that's correct. So, if you mean is someone baptized, if someone is baptized in another church for the same reasons, all right. Here's the point about that. It's very difficult in uh, in Christian modern denominational Christianity to find. Texter, listen to me. It's extremely difficult to find an, any other body, any other church in modern terms that baptizes for the scriptural reason. Yes. It's extremely difficult to do that because all of your evangelical churches. And all of the Baptist churches, all those baptize not for forgiveness of sins, but they baptize because you've already had your sins forgiven in the past by faith only. 
And so when you're baptized in a Baptist church or even it's many Pentecostal churches, evangelical churches, you're simply not being baptized for the same reason that they were baptized in the New Testament. And that's probably a basic reason why I would reject in that sense, the baptism of people from other denominations, not because I didn't do it because it wasn't done in a Church of Christ building or under the authority of me, of me or Gary, not any of those reasons, but only because they were not baptized for the right reason, and that makes a big difference in what you do. The reasons you do things in scriptural terms make a big difference. And so if you're not being baptized for the remission of your sins, according to the text of the New Testament, Acts 2.38, if you're not being baptized for the remission of your sins, you're not really being baptized according to the New Testament. If you're being baptized because of the remission of your sin, which is what the Baptist church teaches, for example, that's one example. You're not being baptized according to the New Testament. What I'm concerned about when a person comes to me and says, well, I was baptized, I want to know, did you do what the New Testament said you should do to become a Christian? And if you did, then I can accept that. But if you did not do what the New Testament says you ought to do to be baptized, then I don't think I should accept it for this reason. I would be doing you a disservice. Let me give you an example, Gary. I know I'm talking too much here. I had a woman, I remember standing and talking to her. At least I've had more than one of these, but I remember one woman in particular, a young woman, a uh, very sweet person, came to the building after services. We were all leaving here. And she stopped me on the porch out there, and she said, uh, uh, and she said then, uh, I, I had to have a brand new baby. I, can we do a christening service? Will you christen my baby? Will you baptize my baby? Tough thing. Young mother well, wanting to do the, she says, I want my baby to be saved. I want my baby to love the Lord. And I told her, I said, no, I will not baptize your baby. I'll baptize you into Christ because you're an adult, but I will not baptize your baby because I would be doing your baby a disservice. Let, let, let's make this clear. There are certain qualifications that make someone eligible, right. if you will, for baptism. And that's just baptism. one of the things. I'm just giving and, you an example and, and that's, of that, something that would disqualify at what's called baptism today from being a New Testament baptism. One of them is the reason why you're doing it. The other one is, for example, the mode of baptism and the the, the candidate itself, baptism in the New Testament was always done to people who could believe, believe and be baptized for the remission of your sins, you see. Paul says in Romans 10 and verse 8 through 13, he says, but what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith, which we preach that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. There is a belief and a confession and a repentance that precedes yes, baptism. Exactly. And an infant cannot do that. And an infant cannot do that. Okay, there's no examples of children being baptized in the Bible uh, that we know of. And so we, I cannot, if I baptize that baby, I would be giving, I would be sending forth a signal to him the rest of his life. I don't need to be baptized because I've already been baptized. And when the New Testament actually teaches that, yes, as an adult, you need to believe and confess and be baptized. 
And therefore, I wouldn't do it because uh, because I'd be sending the I would be teaching that child and person something incorrect. There, there, there's, there's a lot of people yeah. listen to us, Gary, that have been baptized. If I say, have you been baptized? They'll say yes. And what they mean is when they were an infant, their parents took them and the priest, since they were Catholic, baptized them by sprinkling some water on them. And that's called in the Catholic Church baptism. It doesn't even meet the definition of baptism, much less the true purpose of baptism. No parent's faith can stand in for the child's faith and be acceptable later on. Because then you have to invent a whole new doctrine of confirmation, where the child's faith is confirmed when they're 13, you know, and all, all of that stuff's invented because they didn't practice what the New Testament teaches about baptism in the first place. Now, uh, we've got another call here, but let me just read this text, and we'll, we'll come back to this subject, Gary. Well, I, I want to I read three scriptures before right. we leave this, and then, I, then I'll be satisfied. All because right. well, we because baptism is not only does it have a, a set of requirements for one to believe, repent, confess, and to do those things, but it also is the point at which God forgives your sins. Therefore, it is the point at which the child of Christ is saved. That would be the point, I believe, that he would be entered into the kingdom. Right. And then there are three scriptures that point to this without a doubt. There's just no way to get around them. And I want to read those, and then I'll be happy. And so just give me one second. I want to start with Acts 2.38, Mike. Peter is preaching the first gospel sermon on the day of Pentecost. He's in Jerusalem, probably in the temple complex, and he's just preached to them that Jesus is the Christ. They have asked the question, what shall we do? So, okay, Peter, we understand what you're saying. What must we do now? And Peter answered them and said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Paul, a little bit later, after he met Jesus on the, on the road to Damascus, he says in Acts 22 uh, and basically 16, Ananias tells him after Ananias has given him the instructions from God, he says, now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Basically, God forgives your sins at that point. The water doesn't do anything, but God does. So basically, well, it says that it's by the power or the working of God. God. Colossians two twelve. Yeah. This is by the working of God, not by your working. Right. That this happened. And in First Peter three and verse twenty and twenty one, when once in the divine long suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight souls, were saved through water, there is also an antitype which now saves us: baptism. Not the removal of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God, meaning you obeyed what God said to do. Right. Uh, those three passages, without a doubt, that is the point at which God forgives sins and the point at which you are entered into the kingdom. Right. Now, the other aspect of this where we go, go to the phone is uh, phones is that, for example, the Catholic baptism of infants is not done by a burial. And a lot That's of churches, right. a lot of people listening to us today, Gary, have only been baptized, even if they're baptized as an adult, were only baptized by a sprinkling. There's a Greek word for sprinkle, rontizo, which is used in the New Testament for the sprinkling of the water on some of the sacrifices. 
But there's another word that's used for baptism, which is baptizo, which means a dipping or a plunging, a burial. And that's why it's consistently referred to baptism is by a burial. So he says, for example, in Colossians 2.12, that we are, after talking about the putting off of the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, a new kind of circumcision, buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised to walk in, in him through faith and the work in the working of God. Right. We we are raised in we are raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. So the working in baptism is the same as the working in the, in God when he raised Christ from the dead. There's a raising up. That's the grace that's shown in Ephesians chapter uh, two verse six through eight about. For by grace you've been saved, you talk about being raised up with him. Well, what's the raising up? What's the raising up from this burial and baptism? There's no way that you could say that, that sprinkling a baby is burying the baby and raising the baby up. doesn't work. It's not right. But to take someone and bury them in water and raise them back up, that's precisely what is said here. So and, that's another and, reason why I would not accept as being valid. Well, the Greek, the Greek word that we've per perverted into baptism, baptizo, actually means to immerse. That's the meaning of the word. As a, to immerse like in dyeing a piece of cloth. You don't right. just sprinkle it was used something and die. throughout the ancient world for all kinds of things like that. And and so it ha it, that's another reason why we, I, whether I would accept it, I would teach someone that that kind of baptism is not New Testament baptism. And a person needs to consider being truly baptized according to the New Testament. Now, uh, let's go to the phone, but we've got some other oh, Laura hung up. I'm so sorry about that, Laura. I apologize, but wanted to finish those thoughts. Uh, call back if you can or text me or call back next week. I apologize for that. I uh, We didn't quite get to it in time. But um, in any event, I got a couple other questions on this, uh, Gary, from a text message from John. It says here in Isaiah 7, the prophet said when this child of the pregnant woman's child knows good from evil. Uh, so it's, it's a prophecy about Christ. And uh, the virgin uh, giving birth. Yes, Isaiah 7. I'm sure that's the yeah. passage he's referring to. Yeah. One of the statements that's made, I've never heard it used this way as a as any application about baptism, but it's an interesting thought. Um verse 14 right around right around there he says um 7 14 isaiah therefore the lord himself will give you a sign he'll the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and you shall call his name emmanuel which we know means god with us curds and honey he shall eat that he may know to refuse the evil and choose the good for before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings and so forth. So he says this child is going to know to refuse the evil and choose the good. Okay, well, for one thing, I believe this prophecy is speaking about Christ, who was not a sinner and did not need to repent in his baptism or anything like that. I'm not sure what the application, I guess he says, what age is this? But but he did he was baptized and he said that was to fulfill all fulfill right. all righteousness because it is a symbol that all of us have to do. Now what age is this? So if I say that infants should not be baptized because they can't meet the qualification of believing and repenting and confessing, three things an infant can't do that are required 
for a scriptural baptism. That's belief, confession, and repentance. And I got the order mixed up there, but that's the three. That's three things for sure that infants cannot do. Well, what age can a person re repent, confess, and believe, or believe, confess, repent, whichever order you want to put it in? There's an order there. But the point I'm making is, what age is that? Well, I don't have a specific age. The Bible doesn't give a specific age. If the Bible gave a specific age, I, I would certainly tell you that or I would teach that. But what I do believe it's teaching is there's an age. It's, when I was growing up, Gary, they called this the age of accountability oftentimes. And it meant there's an age as children mature when they become more accountable for their actions. Children can do wrong things like lie or steal. But even the law of the land doesn't hold them accountable in the same way that they do someone who is mature. And so there's an age when a person is young and they may have a tender conscience. They want to do what's right, but they've never really, through rebellion, uh, tasted the, the, the actual power of sin. I'm going to say it's going to start for most people when in my generation. Now, things may change, uh, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. It's going to change for that child. They're going to begin to rebel against their parents' authority in their own heart or reject even God's rule over them. They're going to begin to want to do what they want to do all the time. They begin to feel this rebellion and this sin. Then when they, be, when they sin then, I believe that now they're being truly held accountable before God for those sins. And that, that's the age at which a person can believe can repent, which means to turn away from what they're doing and confess that they want to follow Christ. They're making a choice for their whole life. That's an age. Might be earlier for some kids. I, I essentially discourage people, and I just don't participate in baptizing eight-year-old kids because even though they may have a tender heart, I don't think they're really accountable and responsible in the same way as a 14-year-old is even or a 16-year-old, or an 17-year-old. Well, my understanding is if the Jews won't bar mitzvah a son until he's, what, 12 years old? Okay. That That's one of the things that probably, in my view, for most children, uh, maybe men, and maybe boys and girls, it's probably around age 12. Somewhere around Well, that's what age. they would say if yeah. the Jews 12 or 13. And, and that, that's where it begins in some people. And they have to, the child has to come to a personal realization that I'm a rebel against God, I'm a sinner, I need forgiveness, and I seek that forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ. Now that person is able to repent, to confess, and then truly to believe that Jesus is the Savior, the both Lord and Christ, as he says in Acts chapter 2. And so beyond, that's the, that's the that. age that we would baptize people. Uh, Gary and I would say that's the correct that's the correct sequence. That's the correct person is one who has gone through that process of understanding that they're a sinner and now repenting of that sin. That person can be baptized. And beyond that, Mike, I just have to have confidence in the justice of God and his fairness. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what else to do beyond teach people they have to repent and be baptized and that they have to do so, make that confession. And it needs to be something that they can live up to. Now, the problem that I've seen in a practical sense, Gary, when I've, I've, I've had the situation come up many times as a preacher 
people come to me, they're grownups now, they're in their 20s or 30s, and they want to be, quote, rebaptized. Because they said, I was so young when I was baptized before, I know looking back, I didn't really know at all what I was doing. I was doing it because my friends did it or because, you know, it was popular or I had, I felt bad about something. And so I did it then. My parents are getting divorced, you know, lots of things. So they were eight, nine, ten years old and they want to be baptized again. Now, what I would tell them, I said, I can't tell you what you did back then. Only you know what you did and how old you were. I can tell you this. I'm not going to rebaptize you. I'm going to baptize you, okay? Because I don't read about any rebaptism uh, in the name of Jesus Christ in the New Testament. There's a rebaptism in the New Testament, but it's not in the name of Jesus Christ. One of them is in the name of John. One was in the name of Jesus Christ. So when you're either baptized in Christ's name or you're not baptized in Christ's name. And if that person sincerely, after thinking about it, tells me, I don't believe I was really baptized in the name of Christ, because I was too young and didn't know what I was doing, then uh, I'll baptize them for the first time, as it were, uh, as it were. So um, uh, if you're interested in those passages that Mike's talking about, one of them, I believe, is in Acts 19. Let me see if I can find it here. It's the first few verses of Acts 19, I yeah. believe, Gary. Yeah. That's what I was going to go to here. I just hadn't got pulled it up yet, but where these men had not had only heard of the baptism of John the Baptist. Yeah, it's verses 1 through 7 of Acts 19, and it says, And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus, and finding some disciples, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, We, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. And he said to them, Into what were you baptized? And so they said into John's baptism, and then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who should come after him, that is, on Christ. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus. And he didn't even call it a rebaptism. No, it's not. It, it, they were baptized in John's baptism, and they were baptized under Christ's authority. Yeah. And that's what we need to be baptized into is Christ's authority. John the Baptist is not the authority anymore. Christ is the one. Christ is the one who John says that himself, that I'm not the one. Christ is the one you need to follow. So we're going to be baptized in the name of or by the authority or under the authority of Jesus Christ. That's the baptism we're talking about here. That's what in Ephesians chapter four. Here, let me give you this. In the New Testament, I think there are about six or seven different kinds of baptism. But yet Paul says in Ephesians chapter four, there is one baptism. Well, which one is that? That's Ephesians think, 4, 1 through 6. Right. This says, is the one baptism yeah. we're talking about, the baptism for the remission of sins. He says in verse 1, I, therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called, with all lowliness and gentleness and longsuffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called in the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. So in, in the truth of unity, there's all, there's many baptisms as there are gods, okay? There's as many bodies of ch or churches as there are gods. There's one. There's not all these bodies that are all Christian bodies. That's the fallacy of denomination. If there's one body, that's the body of Jesus Christ. And the members of that body, according to the New Testament, are not different denominations or churches. 
they're individuals. We read in First Corinthians twelve about us being members of one body. That's First Corinthians twelve churches. That's verses twelve and thirteen. That's what's been presented since the sixties in this country by even people like Billy Graham, that all the different the branches on the vine, all these churches or denominations are the branches on the vine. That's completely false. Christians are the branches hooked to the vine, and they get attached to the vine by being baptized into Christ through his body, uh, into his body, through his blood. And, and then you hear that there are uh, uh, many, there's one body, and then the members of this body are these various denominations, Catholic, Methodist, Presbyterian, Lutheran. That's completely false. The New Testament says, that, yes, there's one body, and that body has many members. When we read 1 Corinthians 12, like Gary just did, you'll see that the members of that body are individual Christians who have been baptized into one body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I think it's by verse 13, we are baptized by one spirit into one body. So you, you, it's not a matter of being in the quote-unquote capital C Church of Christ as opposed to the Baptist Church or the Church of God. It's a matter of being in the Church of Christ, which is the only body that the New Testament recognizes. It's also called the Church of God or the, or the Church or the Church of the Firstborn. It's, all, it's called those different things in the Bible. But those are not different denominations. There's one body. So Gary and I here on this show are trying to teach about that one body and get you to lay aside the denominational differences. Come into that one body the way the New Testament says to come into it. Be a Christian in that way and, and be connected to the one to the head through this body. And then live in that one body and be just a Christian by following the New Testament. That's the, that's the thrust of this show. Right. And that's what we want you to understand. It's a different concept. But that's only because men have perverted the concept because they all want to have their opinions about how they should do things. You've got Episcopalians, Methodists, Presbyterians, Catholics. They all have their opinions and their human traditions about how they want to do things. Rather than saying we're going to follow only the New Testament, not the councils, not the synods, not our ideas, only going to follow that. We're going to only demand of people what the New Testament demands of them. We're going to get rid of all the other stuff and only follow Christ. So when you were baptized, were you taught according to God's word? Were you That's the taught? question you want people to ask that's, themselves, that's, right? That's, I want you to think about that. I want you to look at the scripture and see what it says about baptism. In John 12, 48, Jesus says, He who rejects me and does not receive my words has that which judges him. The word that I have spoken will judge him in the last day. So... And I'll, I'll just tell you, it it may or might the where you were and where you were taught may or may not have a sign on the door that says Church of Christ. May not. But I, what I want to know is what you were taught and what did you do? Did you did you respond to that teaching, or did you respond based on what you knew the Bible said, regardless of whatever they were teaching where you went? That makes a difference. So there are people. What happens, Gary? Um, and I don't know if you were finished or not. I may have well, you basically, I was going to say, you know, I, I knew a man one time. I wish somebody had asked me to do this. Uh, that when he baptized, uh, he asked that person to, after they were baptized, sit down and write down why you did this and what you were thinking at the time. Write it down. Put it on a piece of paper. Write it down so that 5, 10, 15, 20 years later, there's no question about what I thought. Well, I, I've done kind of the inverse of that. I've had people, when I first began to study with them at all, I'll say, tell me, 
how it was that you were saved. Tell me when and how you were saved. And they'll tell me about some experience they had of hearing Jesus' voice or this happened or that happened. Well, then later on, and, and I was, this is the same point I was going to get at, so this works fine. Because then later on, when we begin to read these New Testament passages together, and they read for themselves, which they've never really done before, how people in the New Testament believed, repented, were baptized, and they were saved. They they then begin, I hear them talking. About, well, that's what happened to me when I was baptized. That's how I was saved. They'll say, I say, well, what about, they'll, they'll, put, they'll put what they now know about the Bible based on the teaching they received back on that experience that they had when they were young, and they'll transform this baptism into that back then that happened because they were taught that they were already saved. They were baptized as a sign of that salvation. They'll put what they've now been taught from the Bible back onto that. And then I've got, the, I said, well, wait a minute. You told me you were saved when you had this experience or the Lord called you by his voice or whatever they say. You see, or they'll say, I had I had an experience. I believed and I was saved. And then a few months later, I was baptized. Then they put the, what the Bible says back on that. But I don't think that's correct to do. And I would encourage anybody who has done that and has had that experience. Now that they know what the New Testament says they ought to do and they want to do that, they believe that they should have done that. I just think they should be baptized now for the right reason, in the right way, and just take care of any doubts. Or by the doubt. right authority. Take, by the right authority. Take care of any possible doubt about what you might have done. I'm not questioning your sincerity. I'm not questioning your belief. I'm not questioning what you wanted to do. I'm questioning what you were taught incorrectly by somebody else, no matter how sincere they were, you were taught incorrectly. You acted on that incorrect belief at that time. I'm not even condemning you for that. I'm simply saying you need to do what the New Testament says you ought to do. And there's an example of this. There's the example of the man Apollos. I think you pulled that scripture up a minute ago. Yes. Uh, uh, Apollos, you could, let me just tell this so you can read the passage. Yeah, oh, you got it there in front of you? Yeah, it's Acts, oh, 18, it. Acts 18, 24 through 28. It says, now a certain Jew named Apollos was born at Alexandria. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. This man had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things of the Lord, though he knew only the baptism of John. So he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Aquila and Priscilla heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately, and when he desired to cross to Achaia, brethren, so it goes on and he was teaching more. Basically, they had to take him aside and explain to him more accurately. And, and I believe this is exactly what people in this situation need to understand. They didn't say, oh, you're a terrible person, Apollos, and you didn't believe in Christ at all and all that. They just said, you've only learned a certain amount, and what you learned was not all correct about this, and so you need to do what's right today. And that's what I encourage people to do. Be sure. Why, why would you defend something just because you've done it in the past when now you know better and more fully? Do what you now know to do is the right thing to do, which is be baptized for the remission of your sins Take care of that. Put that behind you and move forward from where you are. There's no reason to defend something that you learned in the past just because you did it back then. Do what you now know is right 
And just like Apollos did, he didn't go back and defend, oh, you're attacking my teachers back then. You're attacking John the Baptist. I'm not doing any such thing about that. I'm not attacking anybody's sincerity. This is the situation that a lot of people find themselves in, whether they were taught incorrectly in the Baptist church or whether they were taught incorrectly as a Catholic growing up, they need to be baptized according to the New Testament for their mission of their sins. And it's not a matter of them then becoming a member of this church if they would like to based upon their, their being a believer now and a true Christian, that's fine. But it's a matter of me convincing them that they need to become a Christian in the first place and do what God says, because without that, they're going to be lost. Now, this is, um, you know, this isn't really very different. It's just sound. It, it isn't. If you if you want to be a Catholic, Gary. Do you think the Catholic priest teaches anything different than you have to do what he thinks the New Testament says? What would a Catholic priest tell you if he was following the Catholic doctrine? Would he tell you it's okay for you to do something different than what he thinks the New Testament says? Well, of course he wouldn't. Will a Baptist preacher tell you to do something different than what he thinks the New Testament says? No. Well, of course he won't, because he believes it's right. The question is, what does the text say? What does the scripture say? And we've read these passages. They're clear. And we need to understand what they are. And we know that we know historically the reason why people believe in being saved by faith only as opposed to what the scriptures say and things like that. We know why the Catholic Church teaches sprinkling and all of that. And so get past that stuff and go back to the text. Well, I'm ranting and raving here. Well, the only the only thing that I would add to this, Mike, is the problem comes that people people have pride and they do not want to let go of what they've been taught many times by loved ones. Many well, times it's a powerful force. You talk to this by somebody you love, either your parents or a, a, a pastor that you loved or whatever. Or, or now I've got to now I've got to admit that all these years I was going through this and I was foolishly believing something that was wrong. That's a hard thing to do. It, it is a hard thing to do. And sometimes there's family repercussions for these. Things. Yes, I understand that completely. Uh, but on the other hand, I'm going to be you read that read the passage every week. Jesus says, my words will judge you in the last day. And we need to, in John 12, 48, we need to understand that that's important. Now, here's the thing. For example, my grandmother, my mother, my father's mother died, even though she was very close to obeying the gospel. She died as a Roman Catholic uh, because that's how she was raised, born in the old country, raised to be a Catholic. And she came a long way in the last couple of years of her life. But she never was baptized with her mission of her sins. And people say, well, how can you say that she's wrong? How, do you believe your grandmother's lost? Well, I will say this, that according to what I read in the New Testament, my grandmother was not a true Christian, even though she believed in Christ and follows and she followed what she thought was right. She did. Her, she's she's different than a lot of Catholics I've met since then, Gary. She did exactly what the church taught because she thought that was what she ought to do. I have an admiration for that, but she didn't follow the New Testament. So that's what I'm going to, I can't teach, I can't teach somebody I meet today who was raised as a Catholic to follow my grandmother's example and just die a Catholic. Why? 
because Jesus Christ says differently than that. And I can tell you this, if my grandmother is as sincere as I think she was, that she wouldn't say this, she wouldn't say that you ought to follow that either. She, if she was sincerely a believer in Christ, she would tell you, follow Christ's will. Follow what you know is right from the Bible. And I believe that's what I tell people, that they need to follow what the Bible says, not what, not what uh, their grandmother says. And that includes my grandmother. That includes uh, whoever's grandmother it is. You do what the Bible says it, you ought to do about this. And so that brings up then we need if we need to have discussions with someone about what the Bible says about being saved by faith only or what the Bible says about sprinkling. What, what the, the Bible, Bible says about, about the, the Pope or what the Bible says about the sinner's prayer. Right. Is, yes. And all that. We, we've talked about we that. need we need to have those discussions. And uh, and, and therefore. So uh, that's what we're saying on this show. So I'm not going to tell people, give them a false hope. I've told this story before. Pardon me if I tell it again quickly. I, I was dealing, there was a member of a church where I preached in Illinois for some time, a young man who'd become a Christian a while back, and his mother was a good woman. I'd met her before, but she was dying of cancer. And he asked me to go talk to her about obeying the gospel. She was a devout Baptist. So I went up to her house, sat down with her. She's on her oxygen. We had talked before, and I said, Dolores, you know, you're, you're going to probably face the Lord before I do, and I'm just concerned about whether you've done everything you ought to do to please him. And so I went over with her what she believed about the being saved and so forth. And I explained to her uh, what the Bible said about being baptized for the remission of your sins. And she, she listened to me and she said, well, she said, um, I think I want to do that. I think I'm going to do exactly what you said, because I see that I that I need to do that before I die because it's important. But she said, I want to talk to my preacher first. And she told me she'd been baptized because she believed in the Baptist church. So I said, okay, Dolores, we'll talk again soon. Well, she called me up a little bit later that day. And she said, Mike, I called my preacher in the Baptist church over here. She named the, the one in the town there uh, or in another town over. And she said, uh, he told me that I was baptized for the remission of my sins years ago and so forth and he, i said really i said dolores i'm shocked about that because i've never heard a baptist preacher say that you should be baptized for the remission of your sins they always tell you you should be baptized because your sins have already been forgiven oh yeah i said well can i have his phone number so she gave me his phone number i called him up i said sir this is mike i told him who i was i said uh, we have a common friend dolores and she told me that you told her that she had already been baptized for the remission of her sins in the Baptist church. He said, no, no, no. We don't believe in water salvation, the Baptist church. I just told her that so she wouldn't be upset. She's dying. I didn't want her to be upset. So I just told her that so she wouldn't be upset. But we don't believe in, uh, we believe you're saved by faith only, not by uh, uh, water salvation, he called it. I said, well, thank you very much. I didn't argue with him. I just said, thank you very much. Went back and called Dolores, and I said, Dolores, I talked to your preacher, and he told me that he just told you that because he didn't want you to be upset. But he said the Baptist church does not teach that you're saved by baptism uh, as an act of the remission of your sins, that you're saved by faith only. 
and she got very angry and she said, how soon can we do this? She said, I want to be right with God. And I said, okay. So we arranged, we went over and baptized Dolores, had to take her by wheelchair with her oxygen tank over to the neighbor's hot tub. And it took about 30 minutes to get her into the water and 30 minutes to get back out of the water. And she was overcome with joy because she knew that she could die now, having done precisely what the New Testament said to do in the way the New Testament said to do it. And she said, I'm thankful that I did that because now I can stand before God in Christ, knowing that I did exactly what God said in the Bible. I said, Dolores, that's all God can expect of you. That's all he can ever expect of you is to obey him in the way that he tells you to do in faith, with faith in his word, in his son. And, and so she died maybe a week or so later. Now, the, the point of that is that's the same thing without all of the urgency of dying immediately, of course, that could be true of any of us, that I would urge upon anyone listening to my voice. Simply do what you can read in the New Testament. Don't, don't project backwards onto something, that, uh, onto something that you've already done. Don't project what you know now back on that. Act on what you know now so that you can become a Christian. And then there's other things to talk about, like where you're going to worship, how you're going to worship, all that. That's all after you become a Christian. And I'll urge you to do the same thing about that that I do about baptism. Look at what the New Testament says, the text, and do that. Find, uh, find a group of people that are trying to follow that as closely as they can and do that. If they won't follow the Bible, then find a group of people that will follow the Bible with you. That's all I can urge anybody to do. And so... That's kind of what it is. Now, we've got some other texts here, um, kind of going back a little bit about what age a person should be baptized. John says, there comes a time when children start to realize they're just another gear in the complicated clock. And the, I think the frontal cortex kicks in. I think what he's saying there is that children mature, the brain matures, and they realize that there's a big complicated world out there and they have to figure out where they are in that. And that is often what brings a true understanding of what it would mean to be a Christian and to be responsible for yourself. I remember when I was eight years old, I'd been listening to preaching. My mother took us to church all the time about being baptized. And I came to my mother one day before school. And I said to my mother, I want to be baptized. I think I want to be baptized. She said, well, we'll talk about this when you come home from school, Mike. So you go to school today. When you get home, there's not time to that. We'll talk about that. So she sat me down. My mother said to me, because at that time, my father wasn't a Christian. He became a Christian later. But my mother said to me, look, if you were a, an adult, if you were someone who was mature enough at this point in time to be baptized, you wouldn't have had to ask me if it was okay if you did it. But you're still a child, and that's good because you are a child, and it's okay for you to act like a child. She said, so I'm not criticizing you, but you had to ask me because you needed my approval to do this. She said, when the time comes for you to be baptized, you will not want nor need my approval. You will only want to do what Christ wants you to do, and no one will be able to stop you because you'll know. And so I said, okay. So she said, you just keep doing what you're doing. You keep loving the Lord, you keep trying to do what's right, and that day will come. So I was 13, some year, point, some, some weeks old, I think, and, and um, one day I knew 
we, that I wanted to be baptized. And I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell her. I didn't tell anyone. But that night in church, we were going to church. That night in church, when they asked if anybody wanted to be, be baptized and obey the Lord, I, I went down to the front and raised my hand, so I wanted to be baptized. My family sat there looking at me. I was a young boy. And I, they took me down that cold water. Man, it was so cold. And I was baptized, shaking, and I became a Christian. And there wasn't, and my mother was right. I didn't care what anybody else thought about that. I wanted to do what the Bible said to do, and I knew I was going to do it. Now, did I always live, from that point on, did I always live up to what I had confessed that night, that Christ was my Lord and Savior? I did not always live up to that. I failed him. But it doesn't mean that what I did then was insincere. I did it on my own, from my own conscience, and I followed Christ. Did I need to repent later on? of sinning after that time, I did, and I tried to do that. But that's when I was saved in response to the gospel of Christ as an adult, as someone who was grown, not a 21-year-old adult, but someone who was going to do what they were going to do in, my, in life. And so that's may have been when that prefrontal cortex kicks in. Sometimes it kicks in a little stronger. Some of my children were not baptized till they were much later in life, late teens and the 20s, and that's fine with me. So I didn't pressure them to say, oh, well, you're a preacher's child. You have to be baptized. That was completely up to them. That's their, that's their standing before God. No one else should dictate your standing before God. Not your preacher, not your parents, nobody. Baptism is between you and God. That's why I'm, yeah, that's why I'm not concerned about which particular person puts you under the water because baptism is just a burial. Uh, you're buried in, into Christ not by the person who's baptizing you. It doesn't matter what they believe. What matters is what you believe, what you're going to do, you see. It's, it's, Mike, there's one thing I think that there's a misconception about what we should be when we become Christians. And we are, we are often babes in Christ when we become Christians. We are not mature Christians at that point. No, we're always going to grow, aren't we? We always yeah. are going to grow, and it always entails study, and it always entails coming back to God. He says we need to bring every thought under the command of Jesus Christ. And once you've been baptized, our time is getting short, but once you've been baptized scripturally, you're in Christ. You have the Holy Spirit. You have his help as an advocate, a comforter. And you don't have to be baptized again every time you fail. We have Acts 8 where Simon, who after he was a Christian and was baptized, failed and was told to repent and pray. So we're going to tell you to do that. But you, once you're baptized, you're in Christ and you're part of his body, the, the body of Christ, the church of Christ, the church of God. You're part of his body. And so we urge you to go forward. Then, If you got to need to repent later, then repent and turn back to the Lord. So. Anyway, that's where we are. We've got about a minute or so, 11 and a half. Well, the, the only other thing I want to say is, is that building that has the sign over the door that says Church of Christ may or may not be the body of Christ. Right. Now, it's, it's important that churches call themselves by scriptural names. Names, right, right. But the Bible does not say you can just look at a sign and find out which one is right. You've got to look exactly. at what the scriptures teach versus what they teach in their, in their teaching. Well, our time is gone today. We thank you very much for listening to the show. Hope you'll tune in again next week. But you can look at, find more about We Are Just Christians and about the church here in Savona Boulevard at wearejustchristians.com. Wearejustchristians.com. Take a look there, uh, and uh, you'll find a podcast. You'll find sermons. You'll find information about the church. Come and visit us. 
We meet at 2196 Southwest Savona Boulevard here in Port St. Lucie. You can meet with us at 10 o'clock for Bible study with your, you and your children. You can meet with us at 11 o'clock for worship and communion and preaching and 730 on Wednesday night for more Bible classes. If we can talk with you about any of these things we've talked about this morning, or you want to just get in touch with us and we'd be glad to talk about any of those things. Just let us know. Thanks for listening and may God bless you. Just like me, I once was lost, but